Hello, everyone. I'm Bill Raggio. I'm a senior fellow at Foundation for Defense of Democracies and editor of FDD's Lone War Journal. This is Generation Jihad, the podcast that covers all things in what used to be known as the global war on terror, but we now call the Long War. long war between Israel and Hamas and the Iranian proxies continue. Over the weekend, we had some significant developments, particularly on the militia side with the Houthis conducting multiple attacks on commercial vessels and what appears to be several attacks on a U.S. warship. So, of course, joined by Joe Trusman. He is a research analyst for FDD's Long War Journal. And our guest today is Ben and Ben Talibu. He is a senior fellow at Foundation for Defense of Democracies, where he focuses on Iranian security and political issues. Joe Benham, welcome back. Greetings. Hey, Bill. Great to have you guys on. As always, a lot to talk about, particularly the, the Houthi attack yesterday was astounding, to say the least. But before we turn to that, Joe, any significant developments in Israel's war against Hamas in Gaza or in the West Bank? What is the key issue or key issues that you're tracking at the moment? So since the resumption of fighting started last week between Hamas and Palestinian armed groups in Israel, we're seeing the second phase of this conflict or a new phase of this conflict where Israelis are actually moving south. They started the war focused on Gaza City and areas of northern Gaza. And now seeing evidence and actually statements from the IDF that they're focusing on southern Gaza. Right now, it looks like to be specifically Khan Yunus, but also Rafa as well, which is on the border of Egypt and Gaza. So they're moving south, but there's still, there's still so much to do for the Israeli military. It's going to be very difficult, but it definitely seems that they're in a new phase right now. So it's quite interesting. I think we'll see a lot of reports of clashes between the terrorist organizations there and, and the military. I've seen actually quite a bit of it already in the last few days. It's quickly, the north, Hezbollah resumed its attacks against Israeli targets in the north. And also the West Bank is continuing to be a place of violence, I guess you could say. It hasn't exploded. There isn't a huge uptick compared to what it was pre-October 7th, all right? There's still stuff going on there. It's still violent. There's still shooting attacks, things like that, led by Palestinian armed groups. But it's not happening everywhere all at once with massive casualties, right? So... Things are still happening in the West Bank. And of course, now we're seeing other arenas, Iraq, Syria, the Iran-backed Iraqi militias resuming their strikes against American targets. And then, of course, the Houthis, which we'll talk about now. Yes, the um, the Houthis. And Joe, that is interesting that the Israelis are getting ready to move into southern Gaza. I think there's still a lot of business to to be done up in, in the northern part. The Israelis certainly haven't come close to clearing all of northern Gaza. And I've heard that what they reported, they've discovered 800 tunnels. Is that correct? And seven or 800, and they cleared around 500 of them. And I think that's just a start. And I, that really tells you the amount of resources that Hamas has put into its, um, you know, the, its terror infrastructure in Gaza. I just can't imagine what they're going to, the Israelis are going to find in the South. But yeah, let's turn to uh, the, Houthi attack yesterday on international shipping and, and a U.S. warship. Joe and I wrote this up at the Long War Journal uh, yesterday when we saw this developing. 
I uh, suggest you go over there and give it a read. But uh, we got Benham on to to talk about this. Benham really knows his stuff when it comes to the Iranian strategy, when it comes to using its militias as well as militia capabilities and and the Houthis. And we'll get into this a little bit more. What are the Houthi capabilities? What are some of the other militia capabilities when it comes to ballistic missiles and cruise missiles and drones? You know, if you want to know about that, you, you want to be listening to Benham. He, he's the guy who knows about that. But before we get there. I'm just going to quickly detail um, what happened. So yesterday, there were the the Houthis attacked three different commercial vessels in the uh, in the Red Sea. Um, the Houthis have warned that they were going to do this. They, they've launched at least one of those attacks appears to be an anti-ship um, ballistic cruise missile. Uh, the CENTCOM statement's a little fuzzy on that, but all indications are that one, at least one of those ships has came under attack and then several drones um were also launched towards the USS Kearney CENTCOM um is you know I think there's been a lot of waffling on this or a lot of attempts to disconnect dots here by the US military it says it's unclear if these drones were actually targeted at the at the USS Kearney but the US Kearney USS Kearney had to shoot down three drones three times um, it was it, as it was responding to the attacks on these uh, these commercial ships. It appears several of the ships were struck, but there's been no casualties. And at least one of the attacks, the damage was described as as minimal. And uh, so, you know, CENTCOM has a press release out there on Twitter. Uh, you know, if you go to at CENTCOM, you, you can give it a read. I strongly suggest that as well if you want to get a flavor for the attack, but it's it's significant the amount of resources the Houthis have put into targeting the um, international shipping. The, the, the Houthis, of course, claim that these are all Israeli-owned or Israeli-operated ships, and they're, they're doing their part by attacking Israeli shipping in, in, in order to help Hamas uh, in its uh, fight against Israel. Um, so I'm going to read uh, the end of the the press release here the last two sentences um because i think they're pretty significant in telling us who's conducting the attack and um centcom is leaning a little bit more forward than the u.s department of defense which doesn't want to mention iran's role in these attacks in general so and then the uh, the second sentence is, talks about the uh, u.s response or the consideration of it and here we go quote we also have every reason to believe that these attacks while launched by the houthis in yemen are fully enabled by Iran. The United States will consider all appropriate responses in full coordination with its international allies and partners, end quote. So again, the U.S. government saying that these attacks are enabled by the Houthis. That's the, I'm sorry, the U.S. Central Command is saying that and that the U.S. is considering a response. There's been multiple attacks by the Houthis and uh, against shipping and against U.S. warships, and there has yet to be a response. Benham, um, what is your view on, well, for one, why is Iran pushing the Houthis? I don't even think they have to push them, but encouraging the Houthis to launch these attacks, continual attacks against shipping. And, you know, why is the U.S. military, well, really, the U.S. government hesitant in um not responding to these attacks, which is absolutely astounding to me. Um, I mean, for one, for one, the U.S. government for centuries has believed in open sea lanes and, you know, it's fought multiple wars 
um, to do this, to keep these sea lanes open. And yet you have the Houthis and they're claiming credit for these attacks. It's not like they're trying to hide them. They're issuing public statements. And yet the the U.S. government is reluctant, to put it mildly, I would argue fearful to target the Houthis. Why? Well, it's it's an excellent series of questions, Bill. Just to unpack that uh, on the first part, it really is, as you mentioned, open door when it comes to uh, Iran-enabled attacks or Houthi-direct attacks on Israel itself, on Israeli uh, allegedly owned commercial shipping, uh, as well as on uh, American targets. You know, just recently the Houthis had also shot down that M29 drone. Uh, But this is the panoply, or this is really the whole range of escalation that Iran has laid out for its proxies in the region. And again, these guys use violence to achieve political ends. And the turning on of the spigot of attacks in Iraq and Syria, just like the turning on of the spigot of attacks against shipping as well as land targets by the Houthis, uh, all comes back to Iran trying to create a whole series of bubbles of conflicts across the region built entirely around the Iranian understanding of America's fear of a potential Israel-Gaza war spiraling out of control. And this is Iran being risk-tolerant and the Houthis being risk-tolerant as America, and dare I say even Israel, uh, being risk-averse for the the period that this conflict has been going on. We're coming up on two months now, by the way. And what that means is uh, you can expect more of these attacks purely for the purposes of creating more fears of an escalation spiral that would ultimately get 1973 to replay itself. And what I mean by that is where America has to come into the region and broker a series of deconfliction agreements and in event prevent uh, a line that many folks in the pro-Israel community know, which is that Israel is not allowed to win any wars in the region. And what the goal here would be is to create via Iran, via proxy, a whole series of conflict spirals that threaten American interests that essentially will get Americans to say it's better to ignore these attacks or it's better to brush away these attacks because the political and material costs of meaningfully changing the balance or meaningfully responding far outweighs the risk-reward ratio of not doing something. And in the hopes of not doing something, perhaps we can freeze the conflict in the region. And that freezing of the conflict in the region locks in these Iran-backed assets and essentially allows Iran to use the axis of resistance in a more semi-autonomous fashion than ever before. Still, two months later, we have these ridiculous questions of, did Iran know? How much did Iran know? But the point is, if you create capabilities in different geographies based on the needs of your proxies in those geographies, you don't need to have uh, direct go orders because you have partners with capabilities provided by you that would shoot at the people, that would shoot at the targets that you want to have shot at anyway. And that's what Hamas did on October 7, and that's what the Houthis have been doing uh, just as of yesterday. Yeah, I have no doubt that the Houthis are launching these attacks with the approval. Now, the Iranians don't have, of the Iranians, the Iranians don't have to say, hit this target on this date at this time. No, they give yeah, them general it's direction. It's not like fire one, fire two. It's that up and down, you know. They, yeah. they don't have, as the, the, the joke, sorry to interrupt you, is the, no, the, it's the, fine. the joke is they, they, they don't have foreign policy by referendum. 
not every single move needs to be a referendum. And this is an alliance system. And unlike the, the definition of alliance now, we're in the post-World War II West, we're spoiled by uh, having won so greatly uh, that you know a, an alliance is also about the nature of our partners and the domestic systems that they have and the duration of uh, uh, of our values, uh, the nature of our values uh, being shared. None of that stuff really matters in, in the short term. The Iranians and the proxies they created or co-opted share the same adversary. And so long as they're willing to shoot in the same direction, that's the alliance. Um, and that is exactly why they don't need to keep, you know, picking up the red phone. Exactly. Well, well stated. And, you know, look on the U.S. side, I, I just can't, you know, what are we, what are we waiting for here? Are we waiting for, for dead sailors, the damaged ship, the sinking of a U.S. warship? I mean, what happens then? What do you do about de-escalation and freezing of conflicts at that point in time this is the administration is playing a very dangerous game by allowing the houthis to continue and by default the iranians to continue attacking shipping in this matter in in, uh, in this manner i think it's only a, a matter of time before something bad happens there's enough of these attacks occur and you know one of these missiles gets through u.s air defense one of these drones gets through or one of these cargo ships are sunk you know it's we're going to be having a very very different conversation than we are having today i was going to say uh, uh sorry ben uh for interrupting you no, no. It, it it always it sort of reminds me you know how hesitant the u the the u.s was with retaliating against iraqi militias right um that were they were attacking U.S. troops in Syria and, uh, and Iraq. So I'm I'm kind of seeing that with um with the, what's happening in Yemen, right? With so I mean, but this has to stop because it's not just American troops that are being, uh, or rather, uh, um, uh, an American uh, Navy destroyer that's being attacked, and then but it's also these commercial shipping uh, shipping uh, vessels, right? So it's not just the Americans. So there's there's a lot of nations involved here. So this can't just go on like this. So um, it's funny, kind of, kind of interesting. Just, uh, just American hesitancy, right? And I understand the the reasons behind that. We know that the, the administration and obviously and its allies are afraid of a, a break of a regional war breaking out. But I mean, come on, how long are you just going to sit around and not do much? Even though I will say this, last week, Benham, you probably know this. There was there was reports of uh, something blowing up. I'll just I'll just say it like that. Uh, in in in, uh, in in Sanaa uh, last week, I don't know. It was never attributed to an American airstrike or an Israeli airstrike, but some weapons depot. I, I'm not sure if it's verified or not, but uh, that's what happened. So maybe something has happened already, but definitely not enough. And it, even if it's true, it's not enough, and it certainly didn't deter the Houthis, right? So um, I just found that kind of interesting. Adam, you had a thought. Uh, no, I, I think I think that was pretty well said. Listen, um, the Houthis, we are now guaranteed, it's not verified now, actually, that they are the only Iranian proxy that have paraded and have used anti-ship ballistic missiles, which have a very different flight profile than anti-ship cruise missiles. Back in 2016, the Houthis fired anti-ship cruise missiles at a U.S. warship. Uh, more recently, they've been firing anti-ship ballistic missiles. These were things that they displayed last year and fired this year. There is an allegation, allegedly a single source Israeli allegation, that 
uh, as of late summer this year, Hezbollah may have anti-ship ballistic missiles as well. But nonetheless, they have anti-ship cruise missiles. And if what's good for the goose is good for the gander, and the success of the IDF operation in Gaza means that they will move further south, or based on what they do in the north, they will more efficiently clear it, uh, Iran may bring other elements of this proxy network online. And if you have the Iraq-Syria escalation spiral, and if you have the Yemen escalation spiral, the outsized question is, if Hezbollah doesn't want to fire those PGMs and its land-based, you know, shorter-range drone and IRAM offensives are relatively well thwarted by the Israelis, maybe Hezbollah would pick up uh, the Houthis' A2AD strategy, which in essence is so much of Iran's A2AD strategy. Look, Iran can export this harassment of maritime uh, 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 commerce strategy, and indeed has been doing it from the Persian Gulf to the Red Sea, and that may move to the Eastern Med at some point. Hezbollah also brags about having uh, Russian anti-ship cruise missiles. In the 2006 war, they used an Iranian version of a Chinese anti-ship cruise missile, the C-802, to actually land the blow at the INS Hanit. So uh, before the conflict spirals on land, there is a chance it can spiral on sea because of perhaps the different thresholds for escalation, or perhaps because you know targeting a commercial vessel is going to be deemed as uh, less worth responding to than targeting a military vessel, and the loss of life in one area is going to be treated differently as the law versus the loss of life in another area. So these are all just things to look out for. But again, the Houthis have this unique capability brought to you entirely by the Islamic Republic of Iran, and they're more willing to use it. Now, conversely, we do have more task forces in the region, in the Bab el-Mendeb, in the Strait of Hormuz, in the Persian Gulf, in the Indian Ocean, in the Red Sea. And I would think that there will actually be more of these missions in the Red Sea. Uh, you know, the first ever Houthi missile attempted strike on Israel was intercepted uh, in the Red Sea, thanks to an, an Aegis-enabled destroyer. Uh, the same uh, will likely go for some of the counter-piracy uh, missions there, uh, as well as, of course, uh, some of the continued arms smuggling uh, to get uh, from Iran to the Houthis. So uh, there will be more business on sea than meets the eye or at sea that meets the eye. you mentioned the international coalition. You know, it always seems the U.S. warships are the ones engaging against the Houthis and, and being targeted. Can you tell us a little bit more about this international coalition who's involved and um, do their ships uh, that are in this coalition, do they have the capability to protect themselves and protect, the, you know, other than piracy, right? Do they have the anti-aircraft, the air defense? Um, systems to protect themselves and commercial shipping from uh, attacks such as the Houthis have been um, uh, conducting over the last several weeks? It, it's a good question because the, the international maritime security construct, the, the former Operation Sentinel, I think it was called in 2019-2020, um, that is probably one of the more wider-reaching multinational ones. I believe the UK was there. I believe Australia was there. Um, uh, a host of these, you know, allied but not treaty partner countries were there. Some of these task forces, of course, Task Force 51, um, and then there's a, a few other U.S. naval task forces as well, are solo U.S. missions. Um, uh, I don't know the exact capabilities on each allied ship outside of these individual DOD-based task forces there. Um, but there are, like, for instance, uh, times when the British uh, intercept armed shipments on their frigates and on their destroyers 
uh, coming uh, allegedly from Iran to go to the Houthis. Um, or they'll watch ships dock in different places, uh, offloading uh, weapons or perhaps other smuggled goods. And it's important to note that the further away uh, you get from the Middle East into uh, East Africa, even, you know, with the Babel Bendeb and Red Sea, the routes that are used for arms smuggling are all the small arms smuggling are also the same routes that uh, do human trafficking and narcotics trafficking. Uh, and so some of the successes, the quiet successes of why you don't hear a lot about Somali pirates these days is due to these U.S. task forces in the area. So uh, gunboat diplomacy, the patrols, uh, that stuff still works. Yeah, um, th- this is why it's shocking to me that the, there hasn't been a concerted response to attempt to get the Houthis to stop. I mean, I would be targeting their ballistic and cruise missile capabilities. And if if detectable, their drone capabilities. And that's one of the things that really concerns me is a potential swarm attack from drones and missiles against a U.S. warship or against commercial shipping. And as we've had all of this going on, the Iranians have been harassing the um, USS Eisenhower. I believe it's the Eisenhower Carrier Battle Group as it's operating. It's in the, I believe it's in the Persian Gulf at this point. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, we've had drones. drone, Drone overflight. Yeah. Why is and it's a, it's a replication, you know, it's it's a replication of the strategy of okay, fast attack craft to identifiable. Now you have this lower and slower cheaper flying threat versus the surface threat. Bring that into the mix. And uh, it's just like a fundamentally different equation for the Iranians, man versus unmanned assets, the risk tolerance that they'll have there. Um, and so it's a cheap way for the regime to signal resolve. But you, you, just to, to, to roll back one second, uh, the U.S. needs to be reporting these. You know, we hear these stories because sometimes there'll be a leak from NAVSENT or CENTCOM or one of the folks on those ships uh, to the U.S. media. But before, in, in the worldwide threat assessments, there used to be actual breakdowns, uh, uh, 2015, 2016, 2017, if I'm not mistaken, of the number of harassment incidents in the Persian Gulf. I mean, if I was DIA, if I was DOD, uh, it would be great to get graphics on this kind of stuff. Uh, since October 7th, this many uh, harassment attempts on U.S. vessels in the Persian Gulf, in the Red Sea, in the Strait of Hormuz, in the Bab el we, we This data needs to be out there because the debate over what to do, to strike those assets or not, to hold the patron accountable or not, to hold the proxy accountable or not, to know the effectiveness of our taxpayer-enabled missions, whether they're on land or at sea in the region, is going to be based on the accurate amount of information. And we need as much information out there as possible. Yeah, what's stunning to me is that the U.S. Navy refuses to shoot down these drones. Um, they actually, CENTCOM issued a set press release with a picture of the drone flying close to the warships, I believe it was on December 2nd. And then a couple of days prior, if I recall correctly, CENTCOM also issued a statement, or is it the DOT? They said one came within 150 yards of an aircraft carrier. Um, they're drones. Shoot them down. I, this is this reluctance of the U.S. military, which I'm certain, you know, obviously they're beholden to political masters. I get that. But if you have an, uh, listen, in my view, and in the world, this day, the, the way the world works this, these days, manned or unmanned, flying within a mile of my aircraft carrier is going to get shot down and, you know, the consequences be damned. I mean, and as you noted, there's very little consequences 
for shooting down an unmanned aircraft. The Iranians did it. Uh, they shot down, I believe, one of our MQ-9 Reapers within the last week or two um, with no consequence. You know, let's start taking down Iranian drones. It's These are simple things that should be happening. But this administration is just so fearful of of the um of escalation they've they've conditioned them themselves into minimal to no response and that that is an acceptable response to direct attacks or threats on u.s forces exactly that's that's part of the problem they the, the on the political side the u.s fears responding to the crisis because they believe a response would not be seen as deterrence they would see that as driving the crisis into the next round. And everything you laid out uh, here uh, with this regional picture and what Joe mentioned with the Iraqis is that, and in general, what, what the Israelis and the Americans have done with the success of their anti-drone, as with, with their with their counter-unmanned aerial systems capabilities, with their um, anti-ballistic missile and anti-cruise missile capabilities, long story short is all of this is deterrence by denial. They're denying the adversary from trying to land blows, right? If the drone is seen as just harassing, well, they'll let it pass by. If the drone attempts to fire or ram it, well, then they'll shoot it down. And that's all they'll do. But they won't hold or threaten the capabilities that enable these systems or the launch pads or the tells for some of these ballistic missiles or the storage depots, or the production facilities or the transportation infrastructure. If you do that, then you're engaging in deterrence by punishment. And what we're seeing in real time is an administration that does not believe in deterrence by punishment because of the risk associated with it and is absorbing more than it's even responding. And the 75 to 7 uh, response ratio that we have uh, in in the Middle East uh, uh, when it comes to some of the Iran-backed Shia militias in Iraq and Syria is soon going to become the response ratio we have with the Houthis. Yeah. And, you know, if you if you're following how the response in the last three to four, all of which were in Iraq, they're all described as, quote, self-defense strikes, unquote. And this is what the U.S. has referred to them as in in Somalia as well. So what that means is they're responding to an imminent threat or a direct attack and not these aren't being done in. in so the first several strikes, all which occurred in Syria by the U.S. or the counter strikes. Were, were described in deterrence terms. And the last four, all which were in Iraq, were described in terms of um in, in terms of this self-defense strike. So it's it's interesting to watch the language to see how they're trying to thread the needle, how they're trying to to walk on the balance beam in order to not sound like the aggressor here, even though they're the the US military is the one on the receiving side of these attacks they're not initiating this this is the the administration really needs to rethink what it is how it's calibrating its messaging both on you know the literal message of press releases and statements as well as the military messaging or the force messaging of the 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 counter strikes against these militias the, I'm, it's not working these these groups are have not been deterred they're not fearful of a U.S. response, they're willing to accept, um, you know, the casualties that they're that they've been receiving. Apparently, five uh, militia fighters in Iraq were killed in the latest strike. Um, that's nothing to these these groups. Number in you know in in, in total hundreds of thousands. 
Um, they'll take five martyrs for their cause and use it to, to spur on further attacks. One question, Benham. Um, you were talking about earlier some of these capabilities. We're talking about cruise missiles, like specifically Hezbollah. Uh, you're talking about cruise missiles, any ship cruise missiles, and then uh, some about the um, any ship ballistic missiles. Can you tell us? I remember you. We've talked before about this, but just remind us what's the difference uh, between these two: the any ship cruise missile and the any ballistic anti ship ballistic missile. Sure. So a, a ballistic missile versus a cruise missile, the difference is essentially in the flight profile. Um, you know, we can get into the air intake for the cruise missiles. Uh, all of Iran's cruise missiles are subsonic, meaning they fly, uh, you know, beneath the speed of sound. Uh, ballistic missiles fly high and fast. Cruise missiles fly low and slow. Essentially, ballistic missiles have a ballistic trajectory, meaning it goes kind of parabolic in the flight path, and cruise missiles fly parallel to the earth low and they hug the contours of the terrain they're going over um so think of it as a more like parallel line attack uh straight if it's a, a cruise missile and for a ballistic missile think of it as coming up and coming down on onto the vessel or onto the ship and so it just means if you don't detect the ballistic missile uh you know it'll hit you rather fast and with the cruise missile you'll have challenges detecting the, the missile given the bobbing and weaving. So you have to know, you know, the, the coastal point of origin for some of these things to be able to fl follow the flight path uh, during the whole time. Uh, the warhead for some of these ballistic missiles can often be heavier than the cruise missiles. Also, the way they're launched, uh, some of these systems are rail launched. Ballistic missiles are usually hell launched, transporter erector launcher launched. Um, it just requires a slightly different kind of ground infrastructure as well. But to be able to hit a moving target, particularly a vessel, is a challenge, particularly for a missile that'll move uh, so quickly, like a ballistic missile. And uh, the reports that the Houthis have, and what we've seen since the parade, um, is basically what looks like a version of the Khalija Farce or the Hormuz 1, Hormuz 2 anti-ship ballistic missiles, uh, one of which we believe is electro-optically guided. Uh, uh, and that sensor is on the warhead, which crashes into the target and then explodes the whole thing on impact. Um, the cruise missiles, of course, they're, they're a little bit heavier, you know, more conventional systems like the C-801, C-802 that the Houthis have, the C-802 that Hezbollah has. Uh, these things, uh, you know, have exactly the same characteristics uh, as uh, their, their preceding versions that come, that come from China. Uh, so they're just, you know, more kind of, straight-flying anti-ship uh, missile capabilities that can force the adversary to have to operate from further and further range. So if you think moving ships closer to shore for some of their own missiles to be fired, for some of their own gunboat diplomacy to be helpful, the way the adversary responds is to move some of these coastal missile systems uh, and then fire them to force you to operate further and further afield. But uh, there is an allegation Hezbollah has received an anti-ship ballistic missile. It's not verified. But the Houthis to date are the only proxy that has anti-ship crews and anti-ship ballistic missiles and have paraded them and have used both of them. Venom, Joe, thanks for joining today. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode of Generation Jihad. Just a reminder, you can find us on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a review, preferably a positive one, but only if we earned it. Thanks again, and we'll see you all again real soon.